0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, Arizona Cardinals and ESPN broadcaster Dave Pash. My guest this week is a guy that I had the pleasure of working with for four seasons on college football at ESPN, who is continuing to climb the ladder and is one of the faces and voices of college football, not just on ESPN, but nationally with all that he does, whether it's calling games, college football live, sports center. He's got his own podcast. He does a radio show in Birmingham. Greg McElroy. Greg, still a young guy in his mid-30s, excellent player in college, won a national championship as the quarterback at Alabama. In fact, it was the first championship that Nick Saban won as the head coach at Alabama. Went on to play in the NFL for a little bit, including for the New York Jets against the Arizona Cardinals. We'll talk about that during the podcast. We'll also talk about some of the big storylines in college football this year. And what could be not just the biggest story in the sport, but the biggest story in sports, period. And that's Colorado football and Deion Sanders.
1: Right now, it's it's really fun. It's really exciting. It's a great story. But if some of the flaws that were exposed a little bit last week get exposed even more, then it it could come crashing down uh, pretty quickly.
0: Greg will also talk about what it was like to play for Nick Saban in Alabama, and we'll relive that memorable 2012 Cardinals Jets defensive showdown at MetLife Stadium with uh, Greg McElroy coming up on the podcast. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casino. Sign up today with BetMGM, the official partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Use code CARDS1000 and get back up to $1,000 in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager Arizona only new customer offer please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-NEXT-STEP all right time to catch up with first of all a great guy great friend of mine and also terrific broadcaster who for the next three to four decades is going to be on your tv screen as probably the most authoritative face and voice on college football in the country and that's Greg McElroy. Greg, I'm sure over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to be busting your chops. So let me at least start with some praise. Um, I'm so happy for you, man. Uh, your fast rise at ESPN. I guess I was the training wheels for you, uh, working with you for four-plus years to get you to this point where you're now working with the great Sean McDonough on the number two team on college football. You sound fantastic, brother. How, uh, how's it been through a couple games?
1: Well, I love that you're softening me up right now. Like you're fattening me up for the kill. Uh I know what's coming now. I am I am appreciative and I will always appreciate uh our friendship first and foremost, but I'll appreciate all the positive and quality lessons I learned from you on how to be a pro. That's a real pro. Uh <laughs> as Bill Raftery would say, a real pro. Uh, it's it's good, man. I mean, I I appreciate very much our friendship, and I'm glad that we could do this together. And hopefully we get to reference the incredible game that was the 2012 Cardinals-Jets game. Uh, so I know we'll have a chance to get there at some point.
0: Oh, yeah, that's coming. That's coming. That's on the list. But first, let's talk uh, college football because it feels like I, – I don't know if you saw – I know you saw the ratings as I did – and I, I still am surprised. As much as I know, Dion's a big story, and Colorado's a big story, dude. It's the biggest story in sports right now. They, they had almost a ten, a ten million people watching that broadcast that went until two in the morning, uh, past two in the morning on the East Coast.
1: And I was one of them, <laughs> and I'm sitting there. Uh, thinking, all right. Well, you know, this game will go final. It'll be one30 thirty. I'll get to bed and I'll make my six am flight. No problem. I'll get three hours or so and be fine. And then, sure enough, over ninety eight yard drive, overtime, second overtime. It's like, oh boy, there goes, there goes the sleep cycle. Um, but it's it's amazing, man. And I think what's funny about it, Dave, and I know you know you and I have talked about it or whatever. It's it's like bigger than college football. It's almost like a pop culture phenomenon in some ways. I mean, whether it's the celebrities on the field, the celebrities that are leading the team out of the tunnel, the celebrities that are doing post-game performances in the locker room, the coverage that it's getting from, from 60 Minutes, the coverage that it's getting on all the platforms that cover college football traditionally, like... The you know big noon kickoff on Fox or College Game Day or whatever. I mean it's just it's it's a story that has just transcended the sport, and I think because people are just so fascinated by it. I mean nobody in their right mind could have anticipated the performances that they've put together up to this point, and I'm not sure it'll ever really be replicated. I mean it's it's just mind blowing.
0: So they've got Oregon this week, and then they got USC next week. Uh, this week's games on ABC, and then. Fox has that game next week, which is a noon kick Eastern, 10 a.m. in Boulder. Do you think all of what you just said is sustainable once reality sets? And when I say reality, like, they may still win nine games. They might still win ten games. But it feels like winning the next two, that that's asking a lot. So if they were to lose the next two, or even if they split, do you still think the phenomenon is is there in mid October, are we still talking about Dion and Colorado? Then, like we are now,
1: if they split, we are. If they go zero and two and lose close, we are. If they get blown out, we're not. Probably. Um, I mean, it's still going to be a captivating conversation. It's still going to be something that will, you know, we'll definitely talk about it naturally. I mean, they are moving the needle, uh, and I think you know he'll still, even given what he inherited and the team that he stepped into, I mean, if they, go to bowl, if they go to a bowl game by winning six games, I mean, that's far beyond what any of us could have anticipated from them in year number one. So I think it's – and that's, I think, obviously well within reach uh, with games that they have against Arizona State and, and Stanford and, and some other really, really winnable games on the schedule. Um, but I, I don't know if it's quite going to capture the nation's attention the way it has if they lose big. Um, because right now it's, it's really fun, it's really exciting, it's a great story. But if some of the flaws that were exposed a little bit last week get exposed even more, then it, it could come crashing down uh, pretty quickly. So uh, I think it's one of those, hey, play the hot hand. But I, I, don't, I don't know how sustainable it really is based on what I've seen up to this point.
0: Through three weeks, who would you say is the best team? I mean, Georgia... Second half looked like Georgia last week. First half, not so much. Obviously, your alma mater, Alabama, not great. The loss to Texas. Texas struggled with Wyoming last week, ends up winning. Florida State struggles with BC, ends up winning. Who who do you think the best team right now?
1: Well, Georgia is the best team. They have the highest ceiling. Um, and I think it was on display in the second half of last week. I mean, they looked really, really good. Against the South Carolina team, I think it's actually – Kind of found themselves a little bit, and their quarterback Spencer Rattler. I mean, he's he's becoming a legit you know NFL prospect with how he's playing. So I, I think George is the best team, but really at number two, I think it's wide open. I not mean, I can tell you the team that I least want to play right now is Washington. I mean, Washington to me is like if I had to rank them right now, Dave, like I'd have Washington too. I know a lot of people are like, wait, hang on, that's, that's absurd. They're not a, they're not a traditional blue blood. How can you do that? Well, have you watched Michigan? I mean, because Michigan doesn't look great frankly through three weeks Uh, Ohio state up until last week really hasn't looked great through three weeks last week, Texas. Well, I love Texas and think they're really good this year. They were tied 10, 10 going into the fourth quarter against Wyoming. Uh, I think about, other teams that would be maybe garnering some of that attention at at the number two or three spot. Um, Florida state looked a little sloppy in the second half against Boston college. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I think right now, Washington's the team that's really clicking on all cylinders and they did so on the road against the power five opponent, Michigan state. And I think SC is really capable as well, but SC hasn't done it against anybody yet. So if you're taking resume, and you're taking eye test and trying to combine the two. Uh, the team that I think is is playing better with a better resume is is Washington, who, who would I think be at or near the top of the list.
0: So Michael Penix clearly is one of the most improved players the last few years. You and I did one of his games back in the COVID year and did we? It, yeah, when he was at <laughs> Indiana, right?
1: I don't, well, we definitely did an Indiana game. I still don't know if he was there. I think he I was.
0: Remember. Yeah, because,
1: because – Well, you made me go up there to East Lansing, and we did that game, and it was like there was no one in the crowd, and I had to hang out with you, so I try to forget it. <laughs> uh, but, it's yeah, maybe he wasn't – maybe he did play that game. I really don't remember, he, but he, I think he probably did. Yeah,
0: and then I had him the next year twice um, against Cincinnati and against Ohio State, and he was not good in, in either game. What, what's happened? Because now it feels like, obviously, Caleb Williams and Drake May, we, we already knew that they were major NFL prospects. But now you've got Riley Leonard from Duke in the conversation, uh, Bo Nix and his improvement, and now Michael Penix. It, it, it's, it's starting to feel like there could be five to six quarterbacks in the first round. Is, is Penix legit in your mind?
1: Yeah, he is. He's the real deal. And now he has an excellent supporting cast. So he has to take into account that his wide receivers, I and mean, he's got three of them, that are ridiculous. Uh, but man, he's making throws that are next level. I mean, off platform stuff, moving, sliding, still being accurate. You know, he's he's a lefty, uh, which, you know, some you know sometimes that that's just. For a right-handed quarterback, it always just—it's hard to evaluate. It's not that I have anything against left-handed quarterbacks at all, but like for whatever reason, just watching left-handed quarterbacks, it always looks unnatural to a right-handed guy. But for whatever reason, he doesn't to me look unnatural at all, and I, I think he's—he's he's excellent. I mean, really, really good. Um, for instance, like if I had to choose an NFL player between Bo Nix or him, I'd probably take Michael Penix. And I know Bo Nix has has garnered a lot of attention, but I've still seen. You no know, sporadic inconsistencies with him. Uh, and, you know, I still think he can run a little hot from time to time. And Bo Nix seems, you know, I mean, and Michael Penix seems to be a little bit more predictable with what you're going to get week to week. So uh, it's, it, I think it's going to be a really good quarterback class. And I've, I would not have necessarily said that two years ago, um, just because some of the young guys have had some trials and tribulations, but it's really come full circle now. And, I think it goes to show, too, man. We draw conclusions on guys way too early as far as their ability to be a prospect. You know, I mean, I, sometimes it takes guys a couple of years and sometimes it takes them a little while to kind of find themselves. And just because you start slowly or you start uh, inaccurately or maybe you look a little out of control or a little uncomfortable doesn't mean you won't find it at some point. Like people always forget, like Joe Burrow became the highest paid player in the NFL and was terrible in 2018, relatively speaking. I don't necessarily mean he, you know, I mean, he went from being a seventh round pick to the first overall pick in one year. So that's a pretty remarkable thing to do. So I think guys can improve and guys can get better. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone else potentially joins the mix as the season goes along as well. There's a lot of really good quarterback play going on right now.
0: So one of the years we were together, we did at least a couple Joe Burrow games and a couple Tua games. Tua now is starting to play a little bit more like I think you thought because I know you were, I mean among others, really high on him. It felt to me – I don't know if you remember this, Greg. It felt to me when we did those LSU games that even Ed Orgeron and his coaching staff, they weren't 100% sold that Joe Burrow was elite. And then, obviously, clearly he's proven that he is.
1: Well, when you watch him throw in shorts, it's like, really? This is him? Like, <laughs> are, you, are you sure? are you positive that guy doesn't go into the <laughs> locker room and like someone takes his place and it's a different dude? Like, because you watch him throwing in shorts. It's like, all right, well, yeah, it's okay. That's not bad. And then the game starts and he's like unconscious. Uh, and all of a sudden the ball and the spiral gets tighter and the arm gets stronger and the accuracy gets better. It's like, it's wild. And I actually did a Drake may game this year, week one, Spencer Rattler against Drake may, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina. And I actually had kind of the same takeaway from him as I did with Joe Burrow. Like you watch him throwing shorts and you're not really impressed. Then you watch him in the game and you're like, Oh my goodness. You know, he's just a gamer. So I do think there's that sometimes that guy that can just flip the switch from practice to the game. And clearly Burrow has that, or at least he had that prior to the contract. Uh, I don't, you know, we're only a couple weeks in, but you know, <laughs> just kidding, of course, he's great. Yeah. Um, but I think some of the, some guys are just gamers, and then when the real bullets start flying, they just get way better, and that's I think what what happens quite a bit with Burrow. I think that's what's going to happen with May, and I think in some ways that's what's going to happen with maybe another guy that that we kind of evaluate and maybe comes to the forefront here in the next couple of months as we're going through the evaluation process. Uh,
0: you, you and I did. You know Kyler Murray games in college, and obviously Kyler's hurt, um, and we don't know when he's going to play. But you know, what were your thoughts on Kyler coming out? You know what have you witnessed so far? Because I know you watch a lot of NFL, and you know I, I keep telling people that I, I feel like he he wants to prove to people that he's worth the money. I, I, others have said, "Well, he got the contract. That's all. You know, he's got the contract, and that's it." But now I think. The injury, this is the most adversity he's ever faced in his life. He's not used to adversity. He he faced it a little bit so far as a player, but this is different coming off a major injury. He's never dealt with that before. And now he's got people talking about study habits and contract and everything else. What's your take on that in terms of how he attacks this next stage of his career?
1: Well, uh, honestly, I, I would push back maybe a hair. I do think he experienced some adversity at Texas A&M. That's where he started his college career. And he was kind of thrown in there as a starter. And uh, they had a couple guys at that point, And they were kind of trying to decide, was it going to be Kyle Allen or was it going to be Kyler Murray? And I believe there was another guy like Nick Starkle was in there. I don't even remember who, who the third guy in the mix was. Um, Kyler got a start, didn't play very well, and then – got benched. And so that was some adversity. Um, And I I don't know how he handled that. I don't think it was great, but you know, he was a young player as a true freshman. And that's that's just the way it goes. He went, goes to Oklahoma. That's a couple of years to sit behind Baker Mayfield. And obviously had a ridiculous year in in 2018 and parlayed it into being the first overall pick. So uh, he's handled it and bounced back from it before. Obviously, Um, The way he plays and and just kind of the athleticism, I mean, the knee is is an issue. I mean, will he trust it? I think a mental hurdle that you have to get over as a player is significant, especially when you're a guy that's as twitchy as he is and as quick and as agile and as lateral as he is. So I do think that's a problem. But, I I mean, I think the study habits are, are a little concerning. But at the same time, I mean, the guy makes plays. I mean, I do think he's probably a difficult one to coach, though, because his best attributes are when he's off schedule, you know? And as a coach, you're like, man, I call a play to have it designed to go to this particular player against this particular matchup, against this particular look, and Tyler's not there, but he's running around like crazy and he makes a play. So I think he's a difficult guy to coach a little bit, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just you have to be prepared for the unpredictable, and maybe that wasn't exactly what Cliff wanted, but hopefully with this new staff and, and with the new regime coming from Philly, uh, maybe they're a little bit more used to that because Jalen Hurts will improvise too, and they clearly had no issues with with his, with his improvisation and uh, allowed him to kind of use some of that athletic ability, use some of that, um, use some of that, I guess you could call it, uh, improvisational skills but can still kind of hone in the plan to where he can stay a little bit more predictable with how he attacks it. So I'm cautiously optimistic, um, especially, you know, with the staff that was brought in.
0: I want to ask you a little bit about some of the rookies. The Cardinals are playing a handful of rookies right now. Paris Johnson is starting on the offensive line. I'm sure you did a game or two of his at Ohio State. Keitrell Clark is starting at corner, sixth-round pick out of Louisville. We're just starting to see B.J. O'Jolari, who I know you did his games at LSU, uh, because of injury he didn't really get a lot of reps in camp. And then Clayton Toon is the backup. Uh, Joshua Dobbs has played well enough to keep starting at quarterback, but but Clayton Toon, fifth round pick, a lot of starts, a lot of experience. I know you had one of his games. Tell me first your, your thoughts on Toon.
1: Well I have I had Toon in the American Championship in twenty twenty one. He played against Cincinnati. Uh, he 's very accurate. I knew his brother actually, uh, Nathan Toon, who was pretty close to my age. went to a small school in the state of Texas, and we had thrown together quite a bit. so I've actually kind of followed Clayton 's career since, gosh, he was a young pup, uh, just because I had a relationship with his older brother. Uh, I, really, I mean I really think he 's a good player, and now he doesn't have crazy mobility, but he has enough. He doesn't have a huge arm, but he has enough. Uh, I think he 's pretty accurate. And when he stays on schedule and his feet are set, like I think he could be a pretty good player. I think he's a solid backup. I mean, I, I don't know if he'll ever be a guy, the guy, because I do think his ceiling's a little limited. But I do think a solid backup. I mean, not that dissimilar. He's very similar, actually, in some ways to Colt McCoy. Um, and obviously a little younger, uh, a little less expensive, but in some ways, you know, a little similar as far as the skill set concerned. Real accurate, understands what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. Good competitor. Um, and in that Cincinnati game, I mean, he had Cincinnati feeling pretty uncomfortable until he threw a pick there at the beginning of the second half. And that kind of broke the game open. But at that point, Cincinnati was playing for a playoff spot. And, and Toon had him, had him on, on the ropes a little bit with how he played early in that game. So I really like his game. I think he's got a good chance to – Develop into a, a, a kind of a mainstay in the league, but I don't know if he'll ever be a, a high-end starter. I think he's a spot starter that could that could bail you out uh, from time to time.
0: Paris Johnson's looked really good so far. I think I think everybody there, there's a consensus there. He, he's he was a great pick. He's going to be a, a great player for a long time. B.J. Ojala, I mentioned we haven't seen as much of him. You've probably seen more than anybody else, just doing a lot of LSU yeah. games the last few years. Uh, what do you think his ceiling is in the NFL?
1: Well, I I mean, no one's seen more LSU games than me in the last couple <laughs> years. I mean, we had them six times last year. Um, and I became a huge fan of B.J. Ogilari last year against Auburn. And they were down. I mean, like 17-0. I mean, they were getting smoked. And B.J. Ogilari single-handedly took over the game. I mean, I'm talking take over the game. Like, strip sack, to the house and then made a couple more plays that led to turnovers later in the game. And all of a sudden LSU comes climbing all the way back on the road at Auburn to ultimately win the game. So a huge fan of him. I don't think he has a crazy high ceiling because I don't think he's crazy twitchy, but I think he's going to be a rock solid pro for eight to 10 years. Um, And I'm a, I mean, he's just, he's, he's more productive than he is flashy and you know, sometimes, and look, let's just let's just call call it what it is right now. Like, if you're a, if you're an edge defender and you don't have 10, 12, 15 sacks, you're not a good player in the eyes of many. But you can impact the game a lot, even if you don't get those numbers. He's pretty good against the run, I think, or at least in, in college he was. Haven't seen him as much in the league, naturally. But um, I think he's just a really, really solid player. Uh, probably not a crazy high ceiling, but he's probably going to give you eight to ten good years where he's going to be a steady presence there. And you can slide him inside, too, in some obvious third-down rush situations if you want to. And he can probably give you a little bit inside as well. So uh, I really like him. I think he's a good player. He's got some good length and, and obviously comes from a conference where you got to bring it every week, too, and, and plays the right way. I mean, really does play the right way. So I think he's a good pick, too. I feel good about him.
0: Well, I know you root for the Cardinals uh, because of our friendship, so I know that you have a stake in, in what happens here. More,
1: more for Wolfly than you That's
0: okay. <laughs> well, speaking of that, first of all, because I've been messing with Wolf. Like, he is nationally renowned because of you and Sean and Mike Mascaro, who's part of the production team, getting Wolf to, to voice the tease and then making Wolf the answer to the Affleck trivia question. I appreciated you putting up the picture of Wolf at age 11. By the way,
1: <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, he did look very similar, just as crazy. Uh, and I, I swear, in that little tease that we ran with the backyard brawl, being obviously a proud West Virginia Mountaineer, uh, he wrote the poem and everything for it, which was terrific. I mean, he's actually very talented. That was pretty impressive. Uh, the poem that he wrote, but. I mean, surely his voice was not that gargly. Like I've heard him talk before. Like that was that had to have been like post production special effects. I don't care what anybody says. Like I know he's nuts and I've listened to you guys on the radio forever, but I mean, come on. There's no way he's that gargly, is he?
0: He is. When he's locked in like that too, and he's reading, it's different. It's different than when he's just calling a game. You know, he's reading a okay. script and he's locked in and he's reading his own poetry yet. Yeah, it, it does sound a little different.
1: <laughs> okay, good. I was, well, I'd kind of hope that somebody made some money in post-production, but maybe not. Sounds like that was the real deal. Uh, he's but,
0: looking no, He he's, he's looking for money, too, by the way. So, if you anything you can throw his way would be appreciated. No, I'm kidding.
1: Uh, well, I don't have that. Maybe Sean can help him out. <laughs> I, I don't have that. So, maybe you can take care of him, too. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe the, you, guys, you guys and all your, all your uh, commas in your bank. And oh, yeah. I don't know if I got
0: that. <laughs> so the team the Cardinals are playing this week, uh, you obviously have a connection to the Cowboys, your dad being a former executive with the Cowboys. I'm curious, first of all, what, what it was like to, to grow up as part of your childhood uh, being associated with the Cowboys and also being a Cowboys fan as a guy that played high school quarterback very successfully in the state of Texas.
1: Well, I mean, I, I my, my dad worked in pro sports forever. So I was a Cowboy fan, though, before he got to the Cowboys. So when he got to the Cowboys, dad had two jobs that I really cared about. When he took a job at the Dodgers, where I remain a diehard Dodger fan. And then when he took the job with the Cowboys. And you kind of, as a kid that grows up in sports, like you root for the paycheck. So wherever dad is, I'm rooting for you. And I'm rooting hard. So whether it's the LA Kings, the Dallas Stars, the Texas Rangers, the – um, you know, back to the Dodgers, to the Cowboys, to Arizona State, like I'm rooting for the, I'm rooting for the paycheck. So, uh, but when he had the job with the Cowboys, like I was a real genuine Cowboys fan being a kid in Dallas before he got that gig. So it was like a dream come true for me, you know, having grown up watching, you know, Aikman and Emmitt and, and Michael Irvin and Dion and uh, you know, I mean, gosh, all the greats there in the nineties. So it was, really pretty amazing when he got that gig. And then when he got there, they stunk, you know, (laughs) of course you get the job during the Chan Gailey era. And then, you know, you get a piece of it during Parcells and Wade Phillips where they ended up having some good years. But for most of dad's tenure as a cowboy executive, they were God awful. So it was really hard to pull for the Cowboys when it was so natural as a kid, because they were always winning. Well, when dad got the job, he was the bad luck charm. And I think in his tenure, they won one playoff game uh in the 10 to 12 years that he was there so it was a less than ideal time to really be all the way in on the Cowboys we just missed the run as a young kid and I you know we didn't have a whole lot to show for it but it was cool and um the weird thing is when I got drafted to the Jets and my dad was still with the Cowboys it was like well I can't I can't root for the Cowboys anymore like I mean no way like I mean that (laughs) ain't That ain't happening. My first NFL game was actually against the Cowboys on 9-11 in, uh, in 2011. So it was the 10-year anniversary of 9-11. It was either Sunday night or Monday night football. I don't remember. It was definitely a night game. I don't remember if it was Sunday or Monday. And Romo threw a couple picks. And one bad pick at the end of the game where they weren't on the same page with Des Bryant and Reeve caught it off. Uh, Reeve picked it off and took it back and nick folk former cowboy drained it for the game winner and i've never ever not one time in my life cheered a romo interception until that night so it was very uncomfortable being there on the sideline in the jets uniform and like cheering against the team that i grew up rooting for and one of the players that i was obsessed with as a kid
0: by the way back to your dad the great greg mcelroy senior for a second has he forgiven you for <laughs> taking that bottle of wine out of his uh, collector's stash, that fridge that he has in his house when you and I did that Texas A&M spring game. I mean, seriously, yeah. the nerve that you have to go in there on your own without permission and just take a nice bottle of silver oak.
1: Well, that's that's really funny because my dad is convinced that he has this really nice wine collection. Dad has never had a glass of wine in his life. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Dad has never once had a glass of wine. Dad drinks beer. That's what dad drinks in vodka. So, like, you know what dad, you know what you're getting. Beer and vodka, pretty simple. Uh, But he's literally never had wine. I did, however, when I was going through the NFL process, I was like, you know, in the draft process, this is during the lockout. So this is in 2011. I was still living at home. And I went through a little bit of a wine phase, albeit short-lived, but a bit of a wine phase. So I stocked up on all these bottles and nice bottles. And, hey, I just got drafted by the Jets. I'm going to buy some nice wine. And, you know, I'm going to have it. And I just left it in my dad's fridge. And sure enough, you go in dad's fridge and he's got like probably 10, 15, 20 bottles of wine that are all like 2008 vintage, (laughs) Uh, you know, Silver Oak, Camus, uh, you know, all the usual suspects, cake bread, you name it. But they're all like 2008, 2009. And dad's convinced that he's been collecting those for years. But they're actually mine, and he doesn't remember that. He forgets that I lived at home during the lockout, and he forgets that I went through a wine phase, and he somehow seems to not be able to check the dots based on the fact that all the wine bottles that are in there are 08, 09. So I, I'm not sure what he's thinking, but you're the one that wanted to break that bottle open, and you drank the whole thing, and it was really unprofessional. <laughs> I mean, we had a really high-level telecast the next day, and you had a whole bottle of wine before we – before we went to bed the night before it was really unprofessional of you
0: first of all that's not true but i will say he did offer to pick whatever was in there and then when i found out that it was yours i made sure to pick the most expensive one yeah Um, of
1: course you did well dad still thinks that like we owe him money for that (laughs) um but i'm not paying because i'm not paying for the same thing twice i've paid for it (laughs) once i'm certainly not going to pay for it again all
0: right you've mentioned the jets a couple times i I, I gotta get there, but I, I wanna start with Alabama because you were the quarterback on Nick Saban, who is a first ballot Hall of Famer, perhaps the greatest college football coach of all time. You were the quarterback on his first national championship team. What was it like to be a part of a program shifting, sport changing title season? And then, you know, we did some Alabama I and you've done them obviously without me, but Alabama games after that kind of watching interaction with Coach Saban is interesting. What was it like to, to play for him as well? So loaded question, take your time, but I'm curious on both.
1: Okay, well, we'll just cancel whatever you have left on the podcast. We'll just go down the <laughs> no, we'll no. Go down the rabbit hole in memory to, lane. We
0: have to save time for 2012 and, and, and uh, what happened on that fateful oh, I, day. I at
1: definitely at want yeah, to carve out some time for that. Uh, so that's a lock. Um, well, starting with the first question that you asked, uh, what was it like navigating through a season that was, you know, program-defining, sport-defining, you know, seismic shift in the college football landscape? And the way I'd answer that is very simply, not trying to dodge the question, but, I mean, we didn't know. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, we didn't know it was going to be a, you know, tectonic shift of the powers that be because when we were, you know, twenty-one, twenty-two, like, we wanted to win but for each other. You know, we didn't really think about the bigger picture. I'm glad that we didn't because we probably would have felt a whole lot more pressure. But we just, hey, let's just go win this thing, man. Like, no one thinks we can. Like, let's just go get it done. And we did, and we had a good team. And um, I don't think any of us really realized what we were doing at the time. And as I've gotten older and seen the program with great teams come up short, it's only gotten a little bit sweeter. That's one thing I've noticed is that it's really hard to win championships. And for us to have won it with that roster and with that team and, and the way we won it against the teams we beat, it was pretty dang special to be a part of. But it, it's not something today that I really thought about at the moment. It was just, hey, we're going to try to win each game, and let's take it one at a time. Let's just see what happens. And when the wind started mounting up, it, it, it got a little bit more pressure packed, but really never to the point where you know, we were worried about losing anything. I mean, it was like we had nothing to lose. Let's go throw our, throw our hat in the ring and see what happens. And that's kind of the way it went down. So,
0: so even with, even with sorry to interrupt, but it, even with like Julio Jones and Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson and first-round picks on the defense, you guys did not think in the middle of the season or early in the season that you guys were a championship team?
1: Well, we thought we had a chance to be really good, but we never talked about championships. Like, we talked about, hey, let's just win the one in front of us. Like, there were guys on that team that were first-round picks that we didn't know were first-round picks. Like, I remember when – uh Kareem Jackson went out after 2009 championship game and all of us were like, why is he going out? Like, that's absurd. Like he might get drafted, you know, there's no way, you know, and sure enough, he's like the 20th overall pick and is still playing. The guys had like at safety, a 15 year career, you know, one of the most accomplished players that, that was on that team. Um, like we knew Rolando McClain was a first round pick. Like we knew that, Um, but we did, you know, we were, we, I mean, we were pretty naive at that point. Like it really wasn't so much like now, so much of it's like NFL driven, NFL driven. Like this guy's first Trump, pick, this guy's first Trump pick. Like it really wasn't like that back then. It was more like, oh well, he's good, he can help us. Like our center was 5'10", five ten, two eighty, you know, like that's at Alabama, like you know, clearly not an NFL prospect, but a really good college player. Um, our, you know, our right tackle was, you know, never sniffed the NFL, not even got to a training camp. Uh, Our two tight ends never even got to training camp. Um, Our backup running back, uh, not Trent Richardson, but the backup was actually a guy named Roy Upchurch, never got to training camp. Um, Our number two wide receiver never got to training camp. Our number three wide receiver never got to training camp. And we're talking, like, these are, like, impact players on the team. So, yeah, our left tackle was a first-round pick, James Carpenter. Our left guard was a third-round pick, Mike Johnson. Uh, I was a seventh-round pick. Uh, Our running backs, obviously, Trent and Mark, both first-round picks. Julio, first-round pick, but was young at that point. And, frankly, during the championship season, was never really at 100%. And the numbers would kind of reflect that. He didn't really have a huge year. He was much better in 10 when he came back as a third-year junior and was uncoverable. Uh, And then defensively, you had Kareem Jackson, who was a first-round pick. Uh, Brandon Dedrick, a defensive lineman, seventh-round pick. Lorenzo Washington was a seventh-round pick, or an undrafted guy, but you know bottom, you know bottom of the roster guy, and played maybe two or three years. Uh, Corey Reamer, our outside linebacker, never played it down in the NFL. Eric Anders never played it down in the NFL. You don't have to go really through
0: the team whole team team team. roster, Greg. We get, we so get it. <laughs>
1: just, well, so it's like one of those things. It's like we, you know, it's not like it was a superstar-driven team. We had some good players, but it wasn't you know we were just we were just good like yeah. the sum was greater than each individual part which i think was kind of cool about that roster and what made it a little different from the rosters that came down the road so no like national championship was never really in our four for purview like it was more yeah. let's hey let's beat lsu let's beat alabama and hey if we get the chance let's beat florida you know those were kind of the three things we wanted to do that year and then sure enough the wins just kept piling up and the national championship became you know a clearer focus so
0: yeah the the win um, over florida was really cool too watching the swamp kings documentary on netflix and seeing Um, it it was obviously the Florida side of things from their perspective, but just seeing you guys go in there and beat them, uh, I can't remember if that was 09 or 10. But anyway, what what was it like to play for Coach Saban? He seems to be the same guy because Wolfley played for the Browns, for Belichick, and Saban was the D coordinator. And the way he talks about Saban is the same way you've talked about him and basically the same thing I've seen when I've done his games. Is he the same guy today that he was then? What's it like to be around him as a player?
1: No, he's a lot different now than he used to be, to be honest with you. Really? Um, yeah, and, and, but he's had to adapt. I mean, the modern player's different. I mean, like, us, we never asked why. You know what I mean? Like, the players back in the day, not that we we're tougher. Like, I don't like the whole notion, well, back in my day. You know, like, it's not really that. But, but we just, hey, you want us to go jump off a bridge? Perfect, let's go. Hey, you want, us to, you, you want us to do this? Let's do it. Whatever you think, like we trusted him 100%. You know, whatever he needed us to do, we were going to do it. And he didn't really have to push. He didn't really have to ask. He didn't have to beg. He, he just did it. Um, but the modern-day player is just not that way. Like the modern-day player has options. You can enter the transfer portal. You can go somewhere else. You can – uh, voice your frustration on social media with your coaching staff, which in turn hurts recruiting, which, you know, means you really get the last laugh if, if a coach doesn't treat you the way you need to be treated or the way you think you need to be treated. Um, so he's had to change. Uh, I think he kind of handles guys with with a little bit different approach. Like back in our day, it was tough love, man. Like it was hard and he was not nice. And, you know, he was – I mean, he was a dictator. I mean, that's, that's what he was. I mean, I, that's, There's no doubt about it. His way or the highway. And if you don't want to be a part of the team, fine, you're not going to win and see ya. It was pretty simple. Um, but the one thing that he always did a really good job of is that when you were struggling, maybe you had a run of bad games, maybe a game or two where you didn't play great. Like, he had a unique ability of being able to sense your internal challenge you know, because you're, you know, you're clearly feeling like you want to play well, you want, you want to help the team. He would really kind of build you up. So he'd call you in his office. You think you're going to get ripped. And he'd be like, man, you're doing great. Just hang in there. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and he would also, and look at the same time He's like, Hey, we need you to do this better, but Hey, you get like, you're out there for a reason. Like we love you. We believe in you. You can do it for us. You know, not, maybe not. I love you,
0: (laughs) but (laughs) you know, something
1: closer to that. Um, and then when you're playing great, he'll rip you to shreds. It's like, hang on a second. What do you mean? I'm, I'm balling out, coach. Like, why are you on me? Like, stop. <laughs> you know? like, so uh, I think it's a way, though, to keep everybody even and to kind of feel even. He doesn't want to experience the highs and the lows. He doesn't want you to be too high with the highs or too low with the lows. If you're really on cloud nine, he's going to bring you back down to earth. And if you're not feeling so great about where you're at, he's going to build you up. And I think you can always kind of tell with him in his press conferences where the team is at. Because if he's really, really happy and nice, maybe the team doesn't feel great about themselves. And if he's starting to get agitated, maybe the team's a little too overconfident. Um, and, you know, I think that's kind of the way he does it. That's why his team's so consistent, Dave. Like, I mean, they, I mean they've played in like three games since 2009 that didn't have a possibility of going to the playoff for the national championship. Like I mean, there haven't been many games that haven't had national championship or playoff implications that he's been a part of because the team is so consistent. You're going to get predictable performance. They might not always have their best stuff, but it's going to be more predictable than most other places.
0: Well, listen, I'm sorry I've kept you longer than I intended, but I appreciate the time. But I, I do have to ask about 2012.
1: Well, I did just read off the whole roster of the <laughs> 2009 championship team. So I, I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to time.
0: Well, I think what you were trying to do is get off the phone before I brought up 2012. Um,
1: that was exactly what it was. I was trying to filibuster. So, so I'm glad that you were able to piece that together.
0: So being your pal and wanting to support my pal, I always try to watch, when I can, your games. So I'm on the plane after doing Florida State, B.C., and I'm trying hey, to watch. Plug.
1: Wow! Yeah, look at you, just getting getting your assignment. And that was a huge rating last week. Just a ratings bonanza. And you go ahead and just shamelessly promote that that was your game. That's fine.
0: Wait, which I didn't see. Did that did that outrate uh, the backyard brawl? Your uh, it, game?
1: It did, but I think Wolfley had a lot to do with it. When he started the show, they said, "All right, that's it. I'm done with this show." <laughs> so I think Wolfley was our was our nemesis there in the in the rating category. You're getting
0: Wolf back for for 2012. So anyway. Um, I, I'm trying to watch your game, West Virginia Pitt, and the uh, the TVs on on the flight keep going out. So I'm getting frustrated. Now I can't watch your game. I can't watch any game. So I, I'm going to watch a movie. And I, so I start watching Field of Dreams. Do you remember the scene where <laughs> you watch Field? of I've been watching Field of Dreams like the last. I watch like ten minutes a night
1: before I go to sleep. And I'm like right at the part where he picks up. Uh, he picks up uh, James Earl Jones. Arch Arch knows no, oh, no, okay. James Earl Jones is already there. He picks up Archie. Yeah. Uh, you know, the doctor guy that like, comes back as a kid. So they just picked him up
0: last night. Yeah. I can't
1: wait to see what happens.
0: Okay, so perfect. This is absolutely <laughs> perfect. So you remember the scene where they're at Fenway Park and yeah. on the screen that only Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones can see, it says Archibald Graham one, Graham, yeah. Or Moonlight Graham. Um, I think it says one plate appearance, no official at bats, and so no, he
1: played a half. He played a half inning, no right. official at bats. Come on.
0: Okay, so that made <laughs> me think of your NFL career. Wow, one win, one win as an NFL quarterback, and it happened to come against the Arizona Cardinals in 2012. A game that, by the way, I still feel bad about to this day because I was ruthless to you on the broadcast i felt so bad that i confessed and played the tape for you many years ago but both wolfley and i were ripping you um and we shouldn't have because then you went out and played great and won the game what do you remember about i even i, th- I can't remember if ken wizenhunt came up to you last year because he was a, a consultant at penn state and i texted wiz and i said if you see mcelroy he's doing the game if you see him go up and tell him hey thanks for getting me fired uh, because of the 2012. 2020- <laughs> I don't know if he did it or not, but what do you remember from that game? I mean, not many court, not many people in the world can say they won an NFL game. And then you started the next week on Monday Night Football, if I'm not mistaken. But tell me about the Cardinals game in 2012.
1: Uh, yeah, so I did not start the following week. We played the Jaguars the following week, which have been great place for me to start my first game. Uh, instead, they put Mark back, and all Jacksonville did was run cover three, and I would have tore him up in, like, perfect weather. Uh, and then Mark started the following week on Monday Night Football, our, and we he turned over five times and got the hook. And I just started on a short week, the week after we get eliminated from the playoffs against the San Diego Chargers, who literally, I'm watching the tape six weeks earlier, absolutely killed Big Ben. So I'm like, oh god, this is <laughs> not good. You know. So um, long story short, against the Cardinals, Mark had been struggling. Um, I had had a really good year uh, running the scout team. Uh, and, you know, Tebow was there too. Um, but Tebow, as far as, like, it's a down-in, down-out offense, I was operating it a little better than him. Um, so I started getting a couple reps, you know, two weeks earlier and then a week earlier, and then Mark had the butt-fumble game on Thanksgiving, which was, you know, a tough one, and we got killed by New England. Uh, so, you know, they basically come up there and, and – they say, hey, we're, you know, we're going to dress you this week, and and you know, you're going to be the two, and and we'll just be ready in case you know Mark gets off to a slow start, we'll get you in there. And sure enough, I mean, slow start, I'm not sure it does it justice. Both defenses were playing pretty well. We had a good defense. Y'all had a pretty good defense. People don't like to remember that, um, but the defense was actually pretty good. I mean, you had Rashad Johnson, you had you know Patrick Peterson, like it was a good group collectively. Um, if I remember, yeah, correctly. Darnell
0: Dockett, Kerry Rhodes. yep, yeah. Was Calais on that team? He was. I really can't remember. Yeah, he was. Yeah, so
1: yep. yeah, it wasn't a bad group. Y'all had a pretty salty outfit, but y'all ran a lot of man coverage. So we didn't have great wide receivers. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you remember Clyde Gates and Jeremy Curley and uh, and over the hill. Uh, gosh, Br- Braylon Edwards. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Cumberland. Oh, yeah. Um, so we didn't have a great outfit. Of, of wide receivers Chaz Schillens. i'm sure you don't remember him i do remember
0: uh, him. <laughs> you do, i you do
1: memory of an elephant <laughs> uh, anyways it was a it was not exactly a star-studded group so i don't blame him for playing a lot of man coverage but mark was off the mark turned it over a couple times they say all right McElroy, you're in there middle third quarter all of a sudden i mean the crowd probably the first from the second quarter on is chanting McElroy for had to have been a quarter and Mark gets the hook. I go in, warm up a little bit. And first drive, uh, as a pro, end of the third quarter, I hand it off, had a nice little run check, piece of cake out the right door, right down the field. It's like, all right, well, this, is, this is easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? This ain't hard. Had a couple other plays that were pretty good. And then first play of the fourth quarter, which is why this game will go down as a fourth quarter comeback win. Uh, we had third and goal at the one-yard line or so. And I'm like, hey, man, let's run the boot. Like, they haven't seen it. Like, they're selling out against the run. They don't think we'll throw it. The boot was wide open, hit Jeff Cumberland, and and we take a 7-6 lead. Well, fast forward, there was a couple plays that – it was kind of back and forth, defensive battle. Like, Rex is like, don't turn it over. Whatever you do, don't turn it over. I don't care what happens. If you you keep doing what you're doing, we're going to win this game. Because Ryan Lindley ain't going to beat us. I was like, yeah, I'd probably agree with that. So (laughs) – uh, long story short, basically any drive the end of the kick was a good drive by us. Um, and then, uh, there was a third down and six or so where we could kind of put the game on ice. And I knew we could kneel on it if we picked it up. Uh, so I had Jeremy Curley working against Patrick Peterson, hit a little back shoulder to the right-hand side. And, and that kind of put the game on ice. We nailed on it a couple of plays later and, and the red zone and, and called it a day. So it was, it was really a cool moment, uh, I hate that it came against your team, but it was a cool moment to, you know, say I did it, you know, throw an NFL touchdown pass, sure. get an NFL game. I think at that point, I, that was probably all I really wanted to get from the NFL. Like, I wanted to get my pension, I wanted to play, and I wanted to score a touchdown. And if I did those three things, I felt pretty good about my career. And on that day, I was able to accomplish, you know, two of the three. So it was pretty neat.
0: Yeah. And then you ended up, you know, staying in the league for a couple more years, one with the Jets, one with Cincinnati. And then off you were to television, and here you are still a young guy with, uh, you know, the position you've got right now, man, as one of the voices and faces of college w- football, probably for the next thirty years. So things have worked out, man. Listen, I appreciate you coming on, bro. I know you got a lot going on with Sports Center hips, and game prep for uh, Florida State, Clemson. There's a there's a uh, a plug for your game, ABC, noon Eastern.
1: Oh wow, Look on at Saturday, that boy. But are you guys on? Are you guys on Mountain Time or Western West Coast Time right now? Well.
0: Pacific. I mean, it's always Mountain Time, but yes, it's, it's yeah. three hours back. So nine a.m. out Okay,
1: here. So, you're, so nine a.m. local. All right, yeah. good. Yeah. So perfect. I hope everybody in the valley is checking it out. It would be awesome. But I appreciate you, buddy, and I love you. And I uh, know I wouldn't be where I'm at without without your help and and without your tutelage and, and your friendship. So I love you very much. I'm proud of you. And uh, keep on keep on pushing the patch pod. I just love the patch pod. All
0: right. We'll we'll uh, we'll take a retweet or a repost. They're hard to get these days. We'll take one. <laughs> it's going to cost you, but we'll
1: at least uh, a two thousand nine Camus uh, or whatever the yeah. heck it was that you opened. Whatever have you, you, have
0: you whatever you stole out of your dad's stash that you blamed on me, yeah, that that I'll pay you back. Perfect.
1: That sounds like a good plan.
0: All right, brother. Appreciate it. See you, buddy. Great to catch up with Greg, and a lot of things. The Dion Sanders Colorado story is fascinating. The fact that. Almost 10 million people watched that game. Colorado, Colorado State this past weekend. Colorado plays Oregon this week, USC next week. Dion is the biggest story. Colorado football is the biggest story. It's incredible to see how many people are tuning in just to see what happens with a program that won one game last year. Also, uh, fun to talk about uh, Greg's playing days with Alabama and then his one NFL win as a quarterback in 2012 against the Arizona Cardinals. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. You can follow us on Twitter slash X at PashPod. We also would love to hear from you by uh, rating us, reviewing us, and telling us what you think. If there's a future guest you'd like to hear from, you can do that by visiting your favorite podcast platform. Thanks to ESPN's Greg McElroy, and thanks to you for listening to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast.